Father, we are here today to proclaim your name, not any other name. Not the name of a denomination, not the name of a church or a pastor or any personalities. The only name that matters is Jesus. Father God, I ask you that this morning and tonight that you break out of heaven and you come down on this church like you have not in a long time. That you shake us, that you break us, that you mold us, that you make us into your image that our heart is tied to your heart our goals are tied to your goals our commission would be tied to your great commission or do today what cannot be explained but help us today to put down a significant memorial stone that this was a day when God hijacked Sherwood Baptist Church and put us forever on a trajectory that we cannot ignore and that we would never get over. For I pray it in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. We begin today a new series on kingdom proclamation. And over the next several weeks, maybe up to eight or more, we're going to be looking at the messages in the book of Acts, the sermons in the book of Acts that deal with the proclamation of the gospel the declaration of the truth of Jesus Christ. And as a part of that, we begin today, let me just do a foundational message on prayer as the catalyst for evangelism. Prayer as the catalyst for evangelism. When you read the book of Acts, it's not really the Acts of the Apostles. It would better be titled the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles and the church to change the world. That's a long title, but that's what the book is about. And it's built to me on one key phrase. You shall receive power. Acts is a continuation of the ministry of Jesus through the disciples by the power of the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus talked about power, he was talking about dunamis power, dynamic power. And for us to proclaim the gospel, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. For us to have power, we need to depend on the Holy Spirit to empower us. And for us to depend on the Holy Spirit, we have to pray. Otherwise, we start doing it all in our own strength and in our own ways. Acts is a book of action. It suggests movement and intensity and initiative and results. 
God never intended for the church to sit and soak and sour. God never intended for the church to just receive information and think about it. Everything about what happens in the Gospels and through the New Testament is about how we are to live and act in light of how Jesus lived and what he did for us. In light of a virgin-born, sinless Savior who died on a cross, who rose from the grave, who ascended into heaven and is coming back for us. In light of the fact that everyone that lives and breathes is either saved or lost. In light of the fact that we have been given a commission that we are to be on the move for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Leroy Imes said, We do not find our ancestors in the faith sitting in classrooms speculating and theorizing. They had their orders. They were up and doing. When I first went on the uh, Foreign Mission Board, which is now the International Mission Board, the largest mission sending agency in the world is the Southern Baptist International Mission Board. Over 4,000 missionaries in almost 140 countries around the world. And I went on the board, and at my first meeting, I listened to a guy who was representing our work in Europe, where there's very little progress. The great part of the nations in the world that saw great moves of God now find their churches turned into apartment complexes and bars and cafes, and they're abandoned or nothing more than tourist sites. Yet those churches were built and established in times when God's work was moving at a rapid pace in Europe. This is what he said. He said, we send our missionaries to Europe to build relationships so that in 20 or 30 years, we earn the right to share the gospel. And I thought to myself, you're out of your stinking mind. You don't know that you've got 20 to 30 years. We live in light of the second coming. How could you say that? And, and then I just asked the question, excuse me, how long did Jesus build a relationship with the woman at the well before he confronted her about her need? How long did he build a relationship with Zacchaeus before he confronted him about his need? It was immediate. Or as my friend Tom Ellis says, you know, you could get off a plane, pay $100 to a translator, and start walking the streets and tell that translator, tell them what I'm saying, and just start sharing the gospel with people, and somebody might get saved. You know, this idea that we have to have a perfect environment and a perfect hot room bubble to share the gospel is a lie from the devil. What we have to do is obey what God said. To go and tell. You see, the strategy for effective evangelism is revealed in Acts. Acts chapter 1 and verse 4. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, verse 6, I know that the disciples were Baptists because they tried to change the subject. They tried to avoid what Jesus was telling them to do. 
So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time that you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. In other words, what Jesus is saying to them, you guys are still missing the point. You're missing the point of the cross. You're missing the point of the empty tomb. You're missing the point of the coming Holy Spirit. Don't miss the point. And so I just told you what Jesus said. Now I'm going to tell you what he really said. He said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. Now, you can trace verse 8, if, as my friend Jay Strack would say, if you've got a pen, pencil, lipstick, or mascara, you can write this in your Bible or on your note sheet. You can trace verse 8 through the entire book of Acts. Chapters 1 through 7 is Jerusalem. The focus of the book of Acts is primarily on Jerusalem in chapters 1 through 7. But in chapters 8 and 9, it's Judea and Samaria. In chapters 10 through 28, it's in the Roman world. So what do you do? You shall be witnesses in all Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. If you want a three-point outline on the book of Acts, there it is. And it's all centered on the gospel, on the gospel going to all the world. And so the first thing they had to have was prepared hearts. They had to go and wait until the Spirit came. Now, he didn't give them an exact time, which drives those of us who are type A crazy. You know, if you just tell me what time you're going to come and show up, I'll be there. He just said, go and wait not many days from now. You know what Jesus did? He hijacked their schedule. He took their daytimer and threw it to the side. He said, put up your cell phone, put up your agenda, put up your calendar, put everything aside and focus until power comes. Until you have a heart that is prepared for what I'm about to do in your life, focus on me. Why? Because it was in a prayer environment that the Spirit would come. It was as they were praying and they were waiting that the Spirit of God would come and give the church the power that it needs to reach a lost world. He didn't say power would be given to methods. Lord have mercy. Our denomination and our bookstore have more methods on evangelism than you can shake a fist at. You could build a city library on the methods that we have put out, and we are further from reaching the world today than they were 2,000 years ago. Some of you have been trained in EE, CWT, how to use a bracelet, how to use a track, how to share your personal testimony. Listen, we don't need any more methods. What we need is power. We need power that doesn't let us stay seated when the world is going to hell. We need a power that gets up out of our information mentality, not looking for the latest program, not trying to figure out prophecy, which is what the disciples were doing. Listen, you can get a crowd in a church to announce a prophecy conference. You announce a prayer meeting or a visitation and nobody shows up. It just says that our emphasis is not the emphasis of Jesus. 
Jesus was concerned about things we apparently are not concerned about. Or if we were concerned about them, we would do more about the things that he's concerned about. We would be on the same page with him. So pick up in verse 9. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky, while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. And they also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as he, you have watched him go into heaven. Here's what these two angels did. They said, hey, 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 focus here. Get your eyes off the sky. They're just sitting there looking up. There he goes. Wonder what they call those clouds that he's going into. I know there are different names for clouds. Wonder what clouds those are. Wonder when he's going to come back. And the two witnesses said, hey, hey, get your attention where you need to be. Focus, focus. You just need to go tell somebody about Jesus. Quit staring at the ceiling and go tell somebody about Jesus. So he brings their focus back. He gets their attention back. And this is what he reminds them of, basically. We are saved to be witnesses. We are not saved to be witnesses if we're extroverted. We're not saved to be witnesses if we have completed a class. None of that happened with these disciples. We are saved to be witnesses. So what were they to do? They were to go and pray, they were to go and wait, and then they were to go and tell. To go and pray, to go and wait, and to go and tell. The early church was filled with a handful of people. Now remember, there's no more than 120 in the upper room. And a handful of people changed a city overnight. Those disciples, with their hearts warmed toward God, filled with the power of the Spirit, were quick to obey. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, This is no age to advocate restraint. The church today does not need to be restrained, but aroused, to be filled with the Spirit of glory for she is failing in the modern world. Failing in the modern world. We baptized more people in the 1970s as Southern Baptists than we're baptizing now. And yet the population of the United States has exploded. We were closer to reaching our nation 30 years ago than we are now. We're getting further and further away and the church is getting more and more isolated into just wanting to sing nice songs and do nice things and, but never tell anybody about Jesus. Listen, you can do good works in a community but if Jesus never comes up in the conversation you've just made a beggar a better beggar but he's still lost and going to hell. He's still lost and going to hell. You can put clothes on his back. You can feed him three meals a day. But if you don't tell him about Jesus, he's just going to be a well-fed, better-dressed beggar that's going to go to hell. We need to understand that the social gospel, which has implications for all of us, does not exclude the explicit sharing of the gospel to a lost world. We do not need to exercise restraint. I've never had to say to anybody in my life, you share Jesus too much and you pray too much ever there need to be practical insights first of all 
They listened, which makes me wonder if they were Baptist. They listened. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives and went to Nukes and Chick-fil-A and five guys to think about what just happened. Oh, it doesn't say that, does it? From the Mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away, and when they had entered the city, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Folks, God empowers what he controls. God empowers what he controls. If a church lacks power, it's because he's not in control. So what and why should we devote ourselves to prayer? Let me give you three reasons. Number one, the shortness of time. The shortness of time. We do not know how much time we have. We don't know when Jesus is coming back. We don't know if any of us have our next breath. The shortness of time. The seriousness of the hour. Even if you watch news in 30 minutes, you know that we live in a serious hour. And thirdly, the shallowness of the age. The church that should be deep and wide is just shallow and narrow. And there's a shallowness in this age. They listened to God and they did what he told them to do. You ever seen that little video of that kid? Listen, listen, Linda, Linda, listen, 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 Linda, listen. No, you're not listening to me. You're not listening to me. Listen. Sometimes I think the Lord is up in heaven going, church, listen, listen, listen. You're not listening to me. Because if we were, we'd be doing things differently. They listened to what God said. They didn't just receive information and check out. They listened to what God said. They were loyal. They did what God said. They didn't just listen. They did something about it. You see, the scripture says, he that is not with me is against me. We are to fight the good fight of faith. We are to endure hardship as good soldiers. You, you can't be lazy and be loyal. You, you can't be lazy in your faith and be loyal to your Lord. They were liberated. They were liberated from fear, from the fear of man. Can I tell you the most dangerous person on the earth is the person that doesn't care what anybody thinks about them. Because they're fearless. They're not worried about public opinion. They're not worried about if they get reelected. They're going to do the right thing. They're not worried about if people applaud or walk out. They're going to do the right thing. The most fearless person in the world is the one that has died to themselves to do what God has told them to do. So what's stopping the church from kingdom proclamation? Number one is prayerlessness. Prayerlessness. The church has lost the prayer meeting. And I'm not talking about the prayer meeting where we pray for ingrown toenails and, and all that kind of stuff. I'm talking about the prayer meeting for what the prayer meeting is supposed to be about. Very rarely do you find in Scripture that there were prayer meetings and prayers based on physical needs. The church was to pray about the spiritual needs and the spiritual unhealthiness of members and the spiritual lostness of people in the world that they might know who Christ is. 
Secondly, no dependence on the Holy Spirit. No dependence on the Holy Spirit. I mean, we got it figured out. I mean, there are, there are churches and there are pastors and there are staff members and deacons and Sunday school teachers that could do their jobs and never depend on the Holy Spirit, which is why there's no power. Never say, I need the Holy Spirit for this. I need to depend on the Holy Spirit in this. I cannot do this in and of myself. You see, my strengths can become my weakness. What I'm good at can become the very thing that keeps me from being good for God. No dependence on the Holy Spirit. Fear of man. What others think. But you see, liberated people celebrate. Liberated people share. Go back on YouTube and look at a video of people when the Berlin Wall came down. They didn't sit there and go, that is so nice that finally somebody did something about that. They were set free and they poured over. In North Korea right now, there are people waiting to pour across the border. Why? They're looking for freedom. But freedom's found in Jesus. Amen. And we can tear down walls. And we can build relationships and we can sign treaties. But if in the signing of those treaties and the tearing down of those walls, we do not go and tell, then we have done the disservice to those people. When the wall came down in Berlin, and shortly after, I was on the board, the Foreign Mission Board. We were having trouble getting some of our missionaries that had been in the same countries for decades to get on planes and to hire translators and to go to the former Soviet Union and share the gospel. For every one or two Southern Baptist missionaries that were on a plane going to Russia to share the gospel, the Mormons and the Muslims were buying out planes. Now either we have the truth and we're not acting on it or we've all been deceived. But if we have the truth, we ought to be acting on it. And when walls come down, we ought to be going. We shouldn't be trying to sit around and figure out, well, I'm just so comfortable here in Japan, and I'm so comfortable over here in this country, and I would have to learn a new language. Hey, how about an open door of lostness? Where people have been told they can't read the Bible, they can't hear the Word, they can't go to the church, and now all of a sudden the door's open. Let's figure it out. Preparation in prayer is foundational. Acts is a prayer book. Now, you will not have time to write these down, so I hope you'll get some essence of it. They prayed for guidance in Acts chapter 1, verses 15 through 26. They prayed for courage to witness in Acts 4, 23 through 31. They bathed the ministry in prayer, Acts 2, 42 through 47, 3, verse 1, and 6 verse 4. Stephen prayed as he was being martyred, Acts 7 verses 55 through 60. Peter and John prayed for the Samaritans, Acts chapter 8 and verse 14 through 17. Saul prayed before his conversion, Acts chapter 9. Peter prayed before raising Dorcas from the dead, Acts 9 36. Cornelius prayed in Acts chapter 10 verses 1 through 4. Peter was praying when God told him to be the answer to the prayer of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10 and verse 9. The church prayed while Peter was in prison, Acts chapter 12. The church fasted and prayed before sending out the first missionaries, Acts 13 and 14. 
God opened Lydia's heart in a prayer meeting, Acts chapter 16. God opened prison doors at a prayer meeting, Acts chapter 16. Paul prayed for his friends, Acts chapter 20. Paul prayed in a storm, Acts 27, 35. Paul prayed that God would heal the sick men, Acts 28 and verse 8. What is it about prayer that we aren't getting? We'd all like to see God work like he worked in Acts. We will not see God work like he worked in Acts until we pray like they prayed in Acts. Something happens when people pray. John Bunyan said, prayer is a shield to the soul, a sacrifice to God, and a scourge to Satan. The spiritual temperature of a church rises and falls on its prayer ministry. By the way, the salvation of the lost and the stirring of baptismal waters also rise and fall on prayer. The disciples had been with Jesus for three years, but they still needed something. They needed to pray and they needed power. We are in danger in the church today of plans but no power, of organization but not obeying orders, of fellowships but no fire, of workers but lacking prayer warriors, of self-centeredness and not being God-centered. They prayed and power fell. They waited and power fell. Samuel Chadwick said, hurry is the death of prayer. Spurgeon said, a prayerless church member is a hindrance. He is in the body like a rotting bone or a decaying tooth. Before long, since he does not contribute to the benefit of his brethren, he will become a danger and a sorrow to them. Acts is a book of prayer. Acts is also a book of proclamation. A.B. Simpson said the business of the Holy Spirit and of the church through, the, through which he operates is to complete the ministry which Christ began on earth, that he can come back to set up his kingdom on the very place where he was rejected and crucified. What does, what does prayer do? What do? It brings unity to our proclamation. We get on the same page with God. Chapter 1 and verse 14, all with one mind. Chapter 2 and verse 1, they were all together in one place. Chapter 2 and verse 46, day by day they continued with one mind. Chapter 4 and verse 32, the congregation were of one heart and soul. I've shared with you before about E.V. Hill, great African-American preacher who died a number of years ago, pastored a church in uh, Los Angeles, one of the great preachers of America in the 20th century. I heard him the first time in 1975 at the First Baptist Church in Jackson, Mississippi. He was the keynote speaker to end the morning session of the Billy Graham School of Evangelism. I was sitting on the front row of the balcony because it was the closest seat I could get. And E.B. Hill said this, if you get people talking to God, God will talk to them about what's on his heart. And what is on his heart is lost people. You know why prayer meeting is dying? You know why we don't pray? You know why we don't fill this altar? Because we're not talking to God. Because if we were, what's on his heart would be what's on our heart. The lostness of our community. 
the lostness of our nation, the lostness of this world, the lostness of family members. You see, part of praying is saying, God, I'm available to be the answer to my own prayer. And some of us don't want to do that. I want you to notice in the book of Acts, they never had evangelism training. They didn't have a visitation night. They didn't have a t-shirt. They didn't have jewelry. They didn't have a tattoo. They didn't have anything except a mouth that worked and a heart that was yielded. You see, we've added all this stuff to say, well, we need to be trained and we need to be equipped and we need to have a time. It's as you go. So the minute you walk off this campus today, as you go, make disciples. That's what Jesus said. If we don't do that, we're disobeying orders from heaven. We don't need all this other stuff to prove that we're Christians. Listen, if you got to wear a t-shirt for people to know you're a Christian, you're in worse shape than you think you are. And I see t-shirts on people, and I see them out in the community acting certain ways, and I see some of their posts on Facebook, and I think, please take the t-shirt off. You're killing all the rest of us. Because you're not living up to what you've got printed on your chest. What they had was power, power to be, and power to do. They weren't perfect. They were flawed. They messed up. They blew it, but they prayed, and they got power, and God used them. Listen, if Peter had not prayed and gotten power, he would have never been the preacher at Pentecost. The largest church in the world is in South Korea. They have hundreds of thousands of members. In fact, in South Korea, this church has so many members, they have to ask their members to stay home on certain Sundays so everybody can eventually get to church a couple of times a month. They have to say to people, you can't come back next week because we need you to make room for the people that are coming that couldn't come this week. I, I look at empty seats and I'm thinking, we're not that church. And so this church, the largest church, hundreds of thousands of people go to this church every Sunday. They have about six or eight services. It's a massive church. It's not programs, it's not organizations, it's not personalities. Here's the key. Every morning, every morning, seven days a week, 365 days out of the year, the church building is filled, filled with people praying before they go to work. 12,000 people, 4.30 in the morning, every morning, six days a week, plus Sundays. Thousands of people go to a prayer mountain to pray. The prayer mountain is 10 miles from the DMZ. It's an, it's an hour and a half drive, and if you've ever been to Korea, it's not easy to get anywhere in Korea. It's an hour and a half drive. 10,000 people visit the prayer mountain every week to pray for the church, to pray for revival, to pray for missionaries, and by the way, one of the things they pray for 
is the American church to have revival. We think they need Jesus. They think we need Jesus. Maybe we ought to get on the same page. Friday nights, they have an all-night prayer meeting. Starts early in the evening and goes until Saturday morning. The church is full. On Sunday nights, 12,000 people gather every Sunday night in nothing but a prayer meeting to cry out to God. Prayer is the catalyst for evangelism. Leori Imes said, there's no time to lose. The task of world evangelization cannot be carried out at our leisure. The gates of hell are wide open. The welcome mat is out. And the devil eagerly waits to capture for eternity all who enter a Christless grave. I want to ask you to stand with your heads bowed and eyes closed. First of all, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we have prayed for you this morning that you would know the forgiveness and the grace and the goodness of God. That you would know forgiveness that is available to you through Jesus Christ. And if you need to make that decision this morning, then I'm going to ask you right now, before we ever sing, just to step out from where you are, find one of these men at the front, and say, today is the day I need to be saved. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. The Bible says now is the accepted time. Someone has prayed for you. You are not here by accident. Someone has prayed that today that you would come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Not religion, not church membership, saving faith in Christ. And so whether you're in the front or the back, in the middle, on the side, doesn't matter where you are, just find your way down to find one of these men and to say to them, I need to trust Christ as my personal Lord and Savior today. For the rest of us, here's the invitation. What is going to change today in the way you pray, in the way you ask God for power, and the way you share your faith. What's going to change today? I believe that today is a day. This is just my opinion. I believe that today is a day where either Sherwood Baptist Church is going to move forward between what I've preached about this morning and what I'm going to preach tonight out of John 14, that we're either going to move forward and get out of this neutral gear that we are stuck in, or God could take his hand off of us. And if that happens, I don't want to be your pastor and you don't want to go to church here. It's that simple. Now we can stand and take information and walk out and be the same. We can fill this altar or we can hit our knees wherever we are and say, God, not now, not today. Don't take your hand off this church today. Don't let this church just become another church, a typical church. 
Rain down on us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Move in our midst like you have not moved before. Change the way I think about prayer. Change the way I think about needing to depend on the Holy Spirit. Change the way I think about lostness in this world around me. As the praise team sings, you step out, you come, and you do business with God. Or God will leave you to your desires. So don't ask us to pray for your lost friends when you won't get on your knees and pray for them. Don't ask us to go share with your lost friends when you won't go share with them. Don't ask the church to do something that the members of the church are not doing. So now's the time. Today's the day. This is the moment. Let's do business with God.